What's up, everyone? Welcome to this new iteration of the podcast. We are rebranding it into Drop Into The Heart. And there's a few different reasons uh, why we're doing that. Um, but yeah, just really cool to reflect on. I started this podcast at the uh, beginning of 2020. And um, it's definitely evolved. I've learned a lot going through this process of sharing uh, through this medium. And I absolutely love it. And it's really helped me uh, share more of my story and having incredible guests on. Um, but we are evolving through and past Quantum Coffee into this Drop Into The Heart podcast. Uh, the intention here is to still bring on incredible guests who are aligned and focused on bringing their medicine to the world to help support this collective shift that we're facing. We have such an incredible opportunity, both individually and collectively, to step into this paradigm shift of humanity and really be leaders for change for the coming shifts that are taking place. And the thing that I've noticed in this process is there's a lot of fear that we have to confront, that we have to let go of, that we have to get to the root of. You know, where are these fears coming from? And I've learned a lot about fear working with my co-founder, Ben Harris, and we're launching a course, should be live. You got to check it out. It's called Fear Alchemy at heartcollective.org. And this course is really bringing this framework to help individuals get to the root of their fears and being able to alchemize them and reframe our relationship with fear. And so today on this podcast, I wanted to share a little bit about my journey and the importance, I think, that all really incredible people that I've met even over the last few years and just mentors in life and really cool stories I've heard by reading all these books is this, this willingness to say yes to life. And what I mean by that is listening to the heart, listening to the soul, the intuition, and that internal whisper, the one that is guiding us all. There's so many of us have become so disconnected from ourselves, dissociated from our bodies, and taught to believe in a world that is just so disconnected from nature and disconnected from our higher purpose, our higher calling. And we were born into this system where, you know, it defines success as the amount of money you make, the amount of material possessions that you accumulate, the idea of retirement and saving up for a future date so that you can finally start living life in your 60s. And we really haven't collectively confronted this idea of impermanence. And because of that, we run away from it and we hide from it and we numb out from it. And part of one of the biggest parts of my journey, and I keep this at the forefront of my mind, is that one day I will no longer be here in this body. Now, I do believe there is an energy, a frequency, uh, an aspect of me that is greater than this individual self, than this individual body that cannot die. It is infinite. We'll live on for eternity. 
But until we actually confront our impermanence and allow our stories of who we think we are and how we need to show up in the world, until we let those stories die and actively participate in the letting go of them, then we're never going to actually have the opportunity to fully live. And that's the beautiful thing about death. You know, people ask, and I've asked this question quite a bit, if, if God was all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful, then why does he allow people to die? Why does there have to be impermanence? Why do, why do my friends and my loved ones have to die? Why do I have to confront my own mortality and the fear of what that means? What I've come to realize is that death and impermanence is the gift because without it, we wouldn't be able to live. If there was no change, if there was no impermanence, if we just lived in a state of bliss for infinity, that wouldn't be a very fun game to play. Now, you might think in the life that you're living right now that you might enjoy that for a little bit and you'd rather be there than in this, in this state of fear or depression or anxiety or life so hard. Like all these stories that we have that we develop because we're not able to fit into a culture or society that it really is challenging to find happiness and fulfillment in this culture that we built because it's so void and disconnected from spirit, from nature, from God, from the infinite source of love that radiates all. We've forgotten this simple truth. And part of my journey now, the journey I've been on, has led me to this point of helping support people in this remembering process. But always knowing that in order to remember, we have to have forgotten. So the gift is in the forgetting and the journey of remembering. It provides that opportunity. And, you know, this journey of remembering and forgetting, it's, it's an infinite journey as well. There's times when I forget and I get bogged down by the stresses of life and the anxiety and the overwhelm and the scarcity and is am I gonna am I gonna make it with this business or this project and what am I doing and questioning my ability and my self-limiting beliefs and then there's these moments of of awakening of enlightenment of whatever you want to say where I am able to drop into my heart drop into the felt sense experience what am I actually feeling here what does this fear feel like in my body what is this doubt what is this overwhelm where is it coming from and having the tools to dive into those emotions and feel them fully allows that energy to release and new clarity and a remembering to come in. And this is a continuous process that can be challenging if done alone. And that's why I'm so passionate about building community to support individuals on their own path of self-discovery so that they can bring their own medicine to the world. We can send ripples out together. And so dropping in, let's take a few breaths together. And then I'm going to share a little bit about my story. And we're going to talk about saying yes to life and a little bit more about the collective shift that's taking place in my perspective. And um, yeah, so if you want to find some stillness, wherever you're at, if you're driving, you can just connect with the energy here. And we're just going to slow down and connect with this present moment together. How cool is it that we have the technology? It's as if you're sitting here with me right now but in some future time, but connected through the quantum field 
sharing a moment together as my voice comes through your speakers or your headphones. As you slow down, begin connecting with your breath. Maybe noticing how it comes in and out of your lungs. Noticing the expansion of your chest on the inhale, contraction on the exhale. And I want you to start breathing into your heart, breathing into this this center of compassion, of love, of connection, the infinite well of source energy and love. Your heart's just beating away, beating life force energy throughout your body, keeping you alive. And it's just a gift. There's nothing you have to do. It was gifted to you. The key is how can we fill this center with love, love for others, love for ourselves, love for creation. One of the tools is gratitude. Mm. Let's take a deep breath together, deep breath into the nose, and a long slow exhale out the mouth. Again, take another deep breath in. And release. One more deep breath in. And let it go. As you come back into yourself, I want you just to notice if there's any shifts in the energy. The breath is a powerful tool to elicit a state change, a state shift. It's used as a technology in a lot of indigenous cultures and different healing modalities to trigger an altered state of consciousness. It's, there's plenty of science talks about the breath as a tool to drop in and out of sympathetic nervous system or parasympathetic nervous system, using it to heighten our energy or really slow down our energy. And so always remember that you have the breath. It is your ally on this journey through life. It's the only constant that is with you from the beginning of your birth until you die, when you take your last breath. So many things change. So many things shift. The story of who you are will change multiple, multiple times just in this lifetime. But the one constant is your breath. So always remember that. All right, let's dive in. Talking about saying yes to life and the killing of my victim consciousness. I want to talk about these moments and it's easy to see these on reflection and it's a lot more challenging to connect with the knowing that everything's happening for a reason when you're actually in the middle of a huge massive shift and transition. And I've had a lot of different transitions in my life and the first one where I really felt like this was happening for me, there's something in me that knew that I was going through this experience for a reason. And that happened my fifth year in the NFL. I was playing for the Falcons. There's a lot of context here. I've had a crazy up and down journey and I'm going to talk more about my football journey throughout this series and on this podcast. But this specific moment when I really felt in my knowing that it was happening for a reason was 
uh, started my fifth season. I was coming off a torn ACL, MCL, really one of the most traumatic injuries of my career. Definitely the most traumatic. It was required 11 month recovery. I got hurt week four of 2014 and going into 2015, my fifth season, I was training camp started with nine months of recovery. So I still was like starting before I was supposed to be fully recovered and went into training camp as the starter. They were starting me off slow, uh, easing me back into the plays. I would do like one or two plays a day uh, during the team's periods for the first like week. And then I did a couple more plays each practice and they slowly ramped me up until one day, like two weeks before the season started, they said, all right, Joe, we're going to test your knee. We're going to give you a full practice, see how it goes. And my knee was about probably 75, 80% at this point. And um, I didn't know that so much was riding on this one day of practice, but on reflection, I realized that they were judging me on how well my knee would hold up during this practice. And they made a lot of decisions just based on that day. And uh, I had a really, I really struggled. I, I struggled putting weight on it. There was a lot of pain. I didn't take pain pills because I was trying to save those for the games. Um, and ended up really struggling, kind of wincing. Um, it was really hot down in Atlanta. Just all of these, all these things. And what I ended up realizing is they made a decision in that moment that they were going to let me go and go with this other guy because I was damaged goods, which is how the NFL works. And there's a lot more context to the story and everything that went into it, but something magical happened. So after I got cut, it was Monday after all the final cuts. So those of you that follow football, uh, the last preseason games on Thursday, they usually make the final roster from 90 to 53 on that Friday and Saturday. And so I made it through the, those cuts and I thought I was just going to be the backup and I'd have to earn my way back to the starting role, which I had done multiple times already in my career. So I just kept my head down and I was ready to work. And I went into work on Monday, did a full practice. And then I was driving home and got a phone call from one of the scouts telling me to come back and that, you know, coach wanted to see me. And I knew what that meant. It meant they were going to cut me. And I remember talking to my agent and he's like, yeah, they're going to, they're going to release you. And this is the second time I had to go through this process of being released. And, you know, it brings up a lot, a lot of uh, feelings of inferiority and, 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 unworthiness and, and failure and um, went up there, went through the cut process and went back home and was hanging out with my partner at the time and cried a lot, was grieving and felt really untethered. I, got, I felt like I was kind of backstabbed uh, by the team, not communicated too properly. It was just all these emotions just swirling inside me. But there was something for the first time in my life Deep down in my heart, it was this knowing that this was happening for a reason. This needed to happen. I was ready for a fresh start. I was ready to be with a new team, whatever that looked like. And the unfortunate thing was that because I got cut on Monday and not Friday or Saturday, the all the rosters were set. All 32 teams had starting centers. And so there was no real opportunity for me to find a new team right away. And then a few days later, I got a call from my old offensive coordinator for the Falcons who now had a job down in Tampa Bay. And he reached out to me and he said, Joe, we don't have a starting role. We just signed a free agent to a pretty big contract, but we'd love to have you uh, as a backup. There's definitely a role for you there. Um, we need somebody that can play center and play guard. And 
I'm not sure about the money or the contract. You can talk to the front office, but I just want you to know, like, we'd love to have you down here. And so ended up going down there week two and talked to the team. And they offered me this minimum contract uh, with all these incentives built in that if I had, if I became a starter for whatever reason and played 90% of the games, then I would hit all these escalators and then it would escalate my contract for the following year. And so when I was a starter with the Falcons, I ended up getting, I think it was $3 million a year. And so when I got cut and went to Tampa, my base salary was under a million. And, but all these incentive bonuses to make $3 million a year. And so when I went down there, I said, okay, that's like the only opportunity I have. I'll take it. The, the, the odds of me hitting all those playtime incentives is probably slim to none because I would have to start playing right away. And obviously there's a starter there. And um, there wasn't a lot of injuries when I was in Atlanta. So I, I wasn't used to having to like go in and out with injuries. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm going to come down there. It's the only opportunity I have. Let's go. And got down there on Wednesday of week two had to learn the playbook, relearn the playbook because it's my same offense coordinator, but they had uh, all these different offensive line terminology and blocking schemes. But I went in there and just studied for the first few days. We were going to play the Saints in the Superdome for the second game of the season. And I didn't even know a lot of my teammates' names. Like I just got there. And the coaches asked me like, is your knee good? Can you play if we need you? And I'm like, yeah, I'll suit up. Let's do this. And so I go out there and the first play of the second half, the starting center rolls his ankle. I'm like, oh man. Jameis Winston, the quarterback at the time, this is his rookie year. He comes over, you know, gives me a slap on the butt. and says, let's go. And I start doing some, some snaps to him while we kind of assess how bad the injury is. You know, they end up, I don't know if they carted him off, but they had to help him off the field. So I knew it was a, it was a pretty bad injury. So I went out there and just played my ass off, played my heart out. And it was a, a high ankle sprain for the starter, six-week injury. And so I played so well for, for during those six weeks and they enjoyed me being out there and just the way I showed up and, and led and the, how hard I played, it just really galvanized the team. And so they ended up keeping me out there. I ended up starting the next two seasons, 30 games in a row and hit all of my incentive bonuses. So I got all of my bonuses the first year, all my bonuses the second year. And because of that, I finally had enough money where I felt financially secure, which actually led me to the opportunity to confront the end of my career, which came in my eighth and final season. And I want to talk about this is the next thing. So that just all happened for a reason. I'm going down to Tampa and it was like a resurgence of my career. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, that first year down in Tampa was one of my favorite years of football and the guys I played with and getting to know them and just creating like a new first impression and being a leader on a young team rather than trying to make a name for myself with Atlanta, which I never really felt like they trusted me and gave me an opportunity to fully step into that leadership role. And there's a lot of context behind that, like I shared, but going to Tampa was the best thing that ever happened to me. Guy got injured, which was unfortunate, but like for my journey, it was, it was all so divine. And going into my final and eighth season, eighth and final season, ended up having to start, compete for my starting job once again. They brought in a younger guy. They were moving into center. And it was really hard. It was tough to have to have to prove myself again. Played my ass off during training camp. And I've been through enough of these open competitions to realize that the team really has an idea of what how they want to set the roster. 
And so they ended up going with this younger guy, uh, trying to groom him for the for the center of the future role, which, side note, ended up not working out. He was better at guard. Um, and so that final eighth and final season, I ended up losing my starting job. And I was actually on the sidelines in my street clothes week one of that season. And my body, you know, after the knee injury and all of the wear and tear and having made enough money to actually start confronting this decision of like, is it time to walk away? I really sat with that. And I felt that that whisper, that inner calling in my heart saying, you know what? I think it's time. I think it's time to walk away from this thing. And I just can't, it's hard to put into words how challenging it is. I'm sure some of you know this when you make such a massive transition in life. And you know, I was leaving everything I had ever known, everything I'd ever worked for, played 16 years of my life, 13 to 29. Everything in my life was focused on achieving greatness at this one thing. And I'd reached the pinnacle. I'd started 54 games, played in almost 100. And I felt like I reached a ceiling. And I was confronted with this question really for the first time. And I decided I'm going to choose my health over a paycheck. Because I knew it was just ripping my body to pieces. And the emotional strain and the mental strain and having to prove myself day in and day out and the performance anxiety, like all of these things were just wearing on my health. And it was a really hard decision. I, you know, told my fiance at the time that I was thinking about walking away and didn't feel supported by her. You know, she struggled with what it would mean to let go of that in her life. Told my parents, they didn't really understand why I would walk away from the thing I'd worked so hard to achieve and to become. Well, I would leave millions of dollars on the table. My dad said, you're never going to make money like that ever again. And it's funny, I've always known and trusted in my ability to create wealth. And I don't know how, but I always had this story of like, I'm going to make more money outside of football than I ever did in it. And, you know, getting to the point now of like, wow, there's this world, we can literally create anything we put our minds to. And I'm going to talk more to that. But the challenge of walking away from, from football, you know, especially when I could have played a couple more years, made it work, made some more money, enjoyed the game. I loved the game. I loved the game of football. I loved what it provided me. I loved what it gave me. It gave me purpose. It gave me something to get out of bed in the morning for. And really grateful that I had an opportunity to make that decision that first week of my final season and I realized, okay, this is going to be my last season. And so I, I was able to soak it all in. I was grateful for everything. I was present for everything. All the hard days, all the long days, early mornings, how my body felt. I was like, you know what? Like I'm, this is the last time I'm going to experience this. So let me, let me be with it. And ended up having an opportunity after a couple injuries. I played my final five games in my career. And I'm really grateful for that opportunity because I was a little bit worried I was not going to be able to compete with the best in the world because my mindset was a little bit checked out and I was starting to lose weight and saw the light at the end of the tunnel and I was almost done with my career and two injuries happened and it's like, all right, Joe, I didn't want to let the team down and I wanted to prove to myself that I could still compete with the best in the world and 
Turns out I ended up playing five of the best games of my entire life. And so after I played my final game, sitting in the locker room, my pads on, tears streaming down my face, my teammates knowing who knew that it was going to be my last game, they came up and consoled me, gave me some hugs, gave me some love. And I knew that I was walking away because I was making the hard choice the courageous choice. And I truly believe that the universe rewards those courageous enough to follow their hearts. And my heart was calling me to, to walk away. And it wasn't like I was walking away to something else. That's the hard thing about these big decisions that the universe presents us with. The choice is hang on grind through it and suffer or let go, fall into the abyss and choose the unknown. Oh, that's hard. It's hard to do. And I truly believe that's what we're being called to go through collectively. We're being called to let go of entire collective belief structures on how the world works what it means to be successful and what it means to work, what it means to, to live in family and community and connection. And it's an opportunity for us to really discover who we are on the deepest level and connect with those who are passionate about going on this journey and stepping into a new paradigm. It is already here science and spirituality and all of these discoveries are all starting to point towards the same thing that we are energetic infinite intelligence beings we are a part of creation we are an aspect of that the thing that created the stars permeates throughout our entire body we are more space than we are matter if you take an atom with a neutron and an electron, and you expand it to the size of a baseball field. The neutron would be the size of the mound, the pitching mound in the middle of the stadium, and the electron would be the size of a baseball rotating around the exterior of the stadium. That is how much space is between electrons and neutrons. We are 99.99% space. But we have this beautiful gift, these senses, this nervous system that makes sense of the information coming in and it creates this physical reality for us to navigate, to play in, to create, to morph, to mold, to love, to connect, to have sex. What a beautiful gift. But we've become so attached to the mind to our thoughts, to our stories. We actually think those are who we are. That's why it's important to widen the lens of perception. It's challenging because a lot of these patterns live within our unconscious, our subconscious, but they're running. It's like if you're looking through a pair of glasses, your stories, your foundational stories are the lens in which you view. You can't really see 
behind the lens, you're seeing through the lens. And being able to widen the perception out, we have this ability through practices like meditation, breath work, plant medicine ceremonies, to really widen the lens of perception and to witness the stories. And during this healing journey and this healing process, wipe those lenses clean and see with more clarity, clearer vision. And I'm still cleaning my glasses off, so don't worry. A lot of the stories that I'm speaking to here, they're passed down from our parents, our society, our culture, our peers. So there's this this healing that's taking place. But a lot of the healing we're being called to do is is ancestral healing, is generational healing, is familial healing. It's this energy that we were born into and is passed down to us. The reason my parents, if they're doing a lot of these, a lot of my traumas and experiences, let's say tied to my parents and my upbringing, I've learned not to blame them because it's their unconscious patterns that they didn't look at that are passed down from the way they were raised and the way they were raised and so on and so on. And then you put into the collective experiences like world wars, at, you know, the early 1900s and the Cold War and all these wars and disconnection and scarcity and struggling to survive and all of these ancestral energy forces, these archetypal energies that have been at play, these survival instincts that have gotten us to this point, a lot of them are no longer serving us. And so we have this really beautiful opportunity to look deep within ourselves and question those stories of who we think we are, who we need to be to find success and connect with people. And something really beautiful happens when you're able to to go inward and begin to explore your inner world and your fears, your doubts, and your worries, and your resistances, and your limiting beliefs. And you start bringing them to the surface and releasing them and feeling them. This clarity and this knowing of the truth begins to radiate out. And I truly believe we're moving into this, this age of abundance. We have the technology, the advancements to really move into a place where A lot of the day-to-day tasks are going to be automated. And we have this evolution of AI technologies, and you can have all the different perspectives on that. But the, the fact is that we have this technology to move into an age of abundance. And the question becomes, why are we still hanging on to this greed, to this scarcity, to this idea that there's not enough when we have the ability to shift everything? And get into the conversation of you know it's really an ego thing this idea that I need to make sure that I can survive so I'm going to accumulate as much wealth I'm going to hang on and be in control of my life and all of these psychologically immature egocentric belief structures is what's so pervasive collectively collectively in our society, in our uh, corporations, in our governments, in our financial structures. They've all been, been so corrupted by these archetypal energy forces. And it's because we haven't 
I mean, we, we definitely, as a culture, we're, we're very spiritually immature. We hang on to science over intuition. We lack the connection to nature, to Mother Earth, to spirit, to energies that permeate all. And we identify with our mind and our reductionist, materialistic viewpoint on reality. And I truly believe that's what we're working through, transcending and moving into this new age of being rather than doing and finding flow within it. And I am super stoked. This is such a beautiful opportunity to really step into and build and create a new and more beautiful world together. And I truly believe the the best way to do that is through community. That's why I'm so passionate about dropping into the heart and growing uh, a collective of individuals who want to support each other in this this mission of you know healing ourselves so we can show up and radiate that love and light out into the world. All right. I have a few questions for y'all and kind of comes down to what we've been speaking on. And I want you to feel into and ask yourself this question. What would my life look like if I was living my dream? Like if everything, I could have everything I'd ever dreamed of, everything I'd ever thought of, everything I ever wanted to create, or the relationships, the love, the money, the resources, what would you be doing? How would you feel in your body, in your heart? What, what are the emotions? Would you feel present? Would you feel love? Would you feel safe? Would you feel satisfied? Who would you be with? Where would you be? What would life look like if you could create anything you'd ever thought and imagined possible? Now the question becomes, why aren't you living that dream? And if here, after me asking that question, you notice a little voice come rushing in with all these reasons why I'm not good enough, not smart enough, I'm not lucky enough, I waited too long to go try this opportunity, wasn't given enough resources as a kid, I'm too old, too young, it's just too late, not educated enough. All of these stories, no matter what they are, are only true in your mind. You're the one that makes them true. Now, the reason that you believe them so strongly is probably because there's past evidence of those experiences or you had an experience that created that story within you or it's just this perpetual passing down but whatever that story is, if you noticed a little voice in your, in your mind telling you, oh, no, I couldn't live my dream, that's the victim. That's the victim consciousness. That voice, that is where the work is. Communicating with that voice, exploring where that voice comes from, what it's trying to protect you from. And if you can really learn to listen to that voice, not attach to it, observe it, communicate with it, move through it, and reframe it. You'll be able to slow down enough and clear the chatter of the mind and the doubt and the limiting beliefs and finally start dropping into your heart. Finally having the space to listen to what your heart 
what your soul is calling for you. It's usually calling you just pretty hard decisions. I know. Walking away from football was one of the hardest decisions. And on top of that, I, I ended up breaking off an engagement of the woman I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with four weeks before my final game. Talk about untethered. I literally ripped, felt, it felt as I was talking to somebody about this recently. It literally felt, it wasn't like the rug was ripped out from under me and everything went into whirlwind. I actively chose to go into my chest and rip my heart out because I knew that I had lost myself. I didn't know who I was. I was an athlete, a pro athlete. I loved this woman more than I loved myself. I was unhappy. I was unsatisfied. I had more money than I knew what to do with. I had all the material possessions. I had the girl, the cars, playing in the NFL, looked up to by so many. I had, although probably a smaller level of fame than some athletes, like, yeah, I mean, I was, I was there. I actively ripped that all out so that I could find and explore the truth of who I am. It was a deep process. But in that feeling of being untethered, it allowed me to listen to that voice, to continue to say yes where it was leading me, a lot of times into the unknown. Living on the road, that's that's what it taught me. Tommy, although I don't really know where I'm going or who I'm going to hang out with, I'm just going to keep trusting. And it led to experience after experience, meeting some of my best friends to this day out on the road. And then sometimes there was no experience at all, just me out in my van, out in nature with freedom. That was beautiful too. But it allowed me an opportunity to come back home to myself for the first time before the world told me who I needed to be, what success looked like, what fulfillment looked like, what happiness looked like. I have no qualms with financial success and creating abundance and having nice cars, big houses and nice things. But the difference now is I'm not attached to those things. They do not give me, they do not affect my inner value or my inner worthiness of who I am and how I compare to the world. I'm fulfilled from the inside now, not trying to fill that void with all this stuff from outside myself, but I'm, I'm full from within. And now because of that, I have the ability to radiate and pour that love out into the creations of my life and my relationships and the people I want to support and help in the world. And the beautiful paradox is I I know the more I I do that from a place of love and giving that all that energy and abundance is going to come back tenfold more than I can even imagine. But I'm not attached to that. It doesn't make me feel any any more important. And I mean, as I'm talking, I mean, there's definitely still, I'm not some, you know, ascended uh, monk on the mountain who's transcended all material world. Uh, I still have like life I want to live. I have experiences I want to have. And I'm excited about creating that, but I'm not, I'm not attached to it. I can do it from a place of being free from it. 
And I think that's what is so beautiful about this journey is it's not about completely shifting your life around and and blowing it all up and living in a van, which you could if you want. And I would highly recommend it. It's changed my life in every way possible. But being able to shift our our perceptions, our perspective, and our relationship with our life, relationship with others, a relationship with ourself, relationship with nature and with God, spirit, the universe, the intelligence that permeates all, whatever you want to call it. It's an opportunity. All right. I have so much more I want to share. I want to talk more about impermanence and death and more about my journey. But this is just the beginning of a really incredible new series. I would love to hear what you think. And if you have any inputs or insights on how to make this show better, if there's any guests you want me to have on or anything you want me to talk about specifically for my journey or anything that I've learned along the way, I would love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you leave a review and uh, say some nice things about me, about uh, the show. And I'd love to personally invite you into the Heart Collective community as well so we can start building a more personable relationship One thing I found a challenging growing community on these social media platforms now because it's just the frequency of it is just so not in alignment and I feel so distracted when I get on them and I get sucked into the rabbit hole and I think there's just so much energy all over the place and there's ads and there's algorithms and you're competing with all this stuff. I'm really passionate about building really strong community in a safe container where we can really be ourselves and explore the inner depths of our psyche, what's holding us back, you know, get vulnerable with one another so we have an app that you get access to that has all these different chat rooms and different resources and a lot of different content and just a growing community of really amazing people that are ready to welcome you in along with me and the internal team, co-founder Ben. And yeah, I'm really stoked. If you join the Heart Collective, um, I'd love to get to know you. I mean, we can DM straight through the app um, and then just chat. And we also host... Um, monthly calls as well. And we're just launching Fear Alchemy course, which is going to be epic. And I'll be talking more about that. If you uh, want or are interested in that, go to the website. There's so much more information on there. And I would love to see you on the inner circle and connect with you um, in a deeper way. All right. I think that's all for now. And I'll catch you next time. Peace.